Thank you, Pastor Lum. <laughs> Thank all of you for the kindness you've shown us this weekend. It's been wonderful getting to know you and your families. And uh, I want to I want to thank you for the reception you gave gave us uh, and what we shared with you. The little bit that we shared about uh, our experience with our son Mike. And and if you have questions about that, uh, we we will share everything. It's just a long, long, complicated story. But uh, so I don't want to take up a lot of time with that during our sessions. But. Uh, we're, we're an open book for you, and, and if you want to speak to us privately, not in a group, we're, we're here till Monday. So just tap us on the shoulder and tell us, I, I've got something I need to talk to you about. And uh, remembering that we're not, we're not psychologists. I, I may just say, stop it! <laughs> so, all right, well, we're talking, uh, talking today about... The care and feeding of your Christian kid. So there's a little spaghetti head. But before, before we get into that, and I know that I've, I've shared with you a lot of things that you already knew. But the Bible is really all I know to share uh, with you that, that will be helpful. I, I'll be happy to illustrate some of those things with our personal experiences. And I, I hope the question and answer time gives you opportunity to... Find out as much as you want to know about that. But, you know, Paul said uh, to write the same things to you is not grievous to me and for you it's safe. And so sometimes people say, well, preacher, tell us something new. Tell me something I don't know. And, and sometimes you just need to be reminded of things you already know. And, uh, and so I hope, I hope that's not too boring for you. But uh, the Bible is pretty much all I know. So... Uh, before, before we get on to Ephesians chapter 6 and uh, God's wise words to children and their parents, I want to uh, show you the clip that didn't come up this morning. This is, this is the guy who doesn't realize that his wife is bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh and that the way he treats his wife is the way he's treating himself. <laughs> Okay, so treat treat your wife like she's your own body because Could she is. Could everyone do that and understand that the dog was not recognizing him so <laughs> And he thought something else was coming to take his toy <laughs> Okay. And that's the way we as a couple sometimes don't realize. So, paraclete parenting. When Jesus, uh, Jesus promised the comforter another advocate another uh, 
paraclete is the word he used. Another comforter to come and help you. Not parakeet. Uh, the paraclete is the Holy Spirit, our comforter. And uh, the Holy Spirit has uh, a major role to play in our family life, in our Christian life, in every sense. As we uh, make our way through the book of Ephesians, we see that Paul says in Ephesians 5.17 that we're to be wise, we're to be wise, not foolish, but wise, understanding what the will of the Lord is. And then he says immediately in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. And he compares that, and I, I know you know this already because I heard Pastor Lum preach on it on the internet. Uh, not very long ago, he compares or contrasts being filled with the Spirit to being, what? Drunk with wine, doesn't he? He said, don't be drunk with wine, wherein is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that contrast uh, has to do with with uh, when a person is influenced by an outside substance or an outside element or power, Uh, as someone is who is drunk with wine, that outside influence affects the way they walk, affects the way they talk, it affects their personality, they they become either very introvert or or outgoing and extrovert. Uh, A little milk toast fella will become very brave and pick a fight in a bar or, or all kinds of things that were not natural to him happen when he's influenced by alcohol or some other substance. And so Paul says the same thing happens, but in a good way. You should be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. He will loose your tongue to give praise to God. He will uh, give you courage in the face of uh, hard times. He will give you wisdom instead of confusion. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means to be controlled. Let, let the God who lives in you have control of your life. Uh, the little boy asked uh, his mom one time, uh, Mom, is Jesus big? And she said, well, yes, Jesus is God. Jesus is very big. Jesus made the whole universe. Yeah, Jesus is big. And he said, well, Mom, does Jesus live in me? And she said, yes. As a matter of fact, when, when you gave your heart to the Lord and you believed the great good news that Jesus died for you and rose again and, and you asked Him to forgive you of your sins and you took Him as your Lord... Yeah, he said he would come into you and live in you. He said, Mom, if Jesus is big and he lives in me, shouldn't he stick out? And it's true. Jesus should stick out. Jesus should be evident in our lives if he lives in us. And that's what happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. When one's filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus sticks out. He makes himself evident. And uh, all the rest of the book of Ephesians 
shows how that works itself out. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul says, and then he shows how that shows itself in our worship life, how we uh, speak to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And, and it shows itself in our wedded life, as we saw this morning, with husbands loving their wives like Christ loved the church and wives responding and submitting to that love as the church does Christ. And it shows itself in our work life. In chapter 6, he talks about uh, servants being obedient to their masters. We would say employees serving faithfully your employers. So, in your worship life, in your wedded life, in your work life, and in your warring life, in Ephesians 6, uh, 10, and the rest of the chapter, he talks about putting on the whole armor of God and standing against the devil. And, uh, but we're concerned tonight about uh, our wedded life, our wedded life, and we want to look at paraclete parenting the Holy Spirit-guided parenting process. We saw saw this morning how that works out in our wedded life in partnering, husband and wife, and tonight we're going to look and see how it works out in parenting. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. Before we do that, before we do that, in Ephesians 5.21, I want you to see how this all keys off of... Ephesians 5.21, where Paul says, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. He says that spirit-filled Christians will always be submitting themselves one to another in the fear of God. And uh, some, some folks have misinterpreted that to say, well, if it's mutual submission, and it is, it's mutual submission, reciprocal submission, he says, submitting to one another. It's a mutual thing. And they say, well, what that means then is nobody's in authority, uh, and, and they uh, kind of turn Paul's instructions on its head by, uh, by saying, if if I have to submit to you and you have to submit to me, then we're not nobody's the boss. Well, all creation, every creature has a head. Yeah. If if it has two heads, it's a monstrosity. If it has no head, it's dead. But there is a mutual submission and a mutual or reciprocal submitting here in uh, verse 21 that we need to understand and, and not turn Paul's instructions on their head. And what Paul is saying and how we ought to understand this is that a wife submits to her husband's authority. A child submits to his parents' authority. A servant or an employee submits to their employer's authority. But then in return, the husband lays down his life and submits his life to his wife's needs, supplying and nourishing and cherishing her. A parent sets aside their agenda and their life and their desires to meet the child's needs and Masters, employees, set aside their rights as the boss and the owner of the company 
to be mindful of the employees' needs as well, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And so when Paul uh, gives these instructions, he gives instructions to one person in the uh, relationship to submit to authority, but then he follows that immediately to the other person, the authoritative person in the relationship. So he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Then immediately he says, but husbands, love your wives. Lay down your life for your wife. Then he says, children, obey your parents. But immediately in verse 4 of chapter 6 he says, but fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Employees or servants, obey your masters in the Lord. And then he says, but you masters do the same thing, forbearing, threatening, remembering that you have a master in heaven. And so, uh, one person in the relationship submits to the other's authority, and the authoritative person in the relationship submits to the subordinate's needs and longings. So, with that understood, let's look at chapter 6. Verses 1 through 3. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, first thing we see here is uh, God's rule for children. God's rule for children. Here's my little buddy, Dennis Menace, and he broke a rule, apparently. What's up, dude? Well, I was just trying to keep it real. Uh, in every, every cartoon of Dennis, he ends up in the rocking chair in the corner, doesn't he? Uh, there was a rule, though, and he broke. Here's the rule. That God sets for children. You ready, children? How many of you are a child of somebody? Okay, good. You're still awake. Uh, And if you're a child and you're still under the roof of your parent and under their authority, here's the rule that Paul lays down. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That ought to be the first memory verse every child learns. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I remember my son learning that verse. And I remember him forgetting it. But uh, this is right. And so there's the rule. Obey your your parents in the Lord. This is how young people can show their faith in the Lord. This is how they can serve the Lord. Even Jesus, Luke 2.51 says, submitted to his parents and Uh, Leanne reminded our little small group this morning, Jesus was perfect and Mary and Joseph were not. And so you had a perfect child submitting to imperfect parents. Now, how many of you children have perfect parents? Wow. (laughs) Okay, they're imperfect, aren't they? But so are you. And Jesus, who was perfect... Submitted to imperfect parents. That's the rule. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is how you can show if you really do love the Lord and if you want to serve Him, obey this rule. 
God's word speaks very strongly about uh, about disobedience to parents. In Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 30, uh, Paul mentioned several sins that were all around him. He wrote the book of Romans, you know, from the city of Corinth. And all he had to do was look out the window to get a catalog of sins. And he talks about murder and adultery and fornication and idol worship. And then he says, and disobedient to parents. Disobedience to parents is linked with murder and adultery and all kinds of pernicious sins. It is a rebellion against the will of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 uh, does the same thing. He says in the last days this is what it will be like. And he lists all kinds of horrible sins. And he says and they'll be disobedient to their parents. And so uh, in Romans that's first century sins. In 2 Timothy 3 he's talking about sins of the last days. And so disobedience to parents has been a plague from the beginning and will be to the end. And God takes it very seriously. His rule is, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then he gives us some reasons for that rule. He says, first of all, uh, you should do it because it's right. It's the right thing to do. He gives us three reasons. That's the first one. He says, uh, it's right. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Some things are just right, regardless of the spirit of the age. It might not be cool, but it's right. It might not be fun, but it's right. It might not be convenient. It might interfere with what you want to do, but it's the right thing to do. Children, obey your parents, for this is right. Nature knows this. Nature knows this is the proper scheme. Even animals insist that their young obey them. You ever seen uh, a dog nip at its puppy because the puppy's getting out of line? Or a bear slap its cub because the cub is going off to a place where she ought not to go? Uh, Even animals insist that their young obey. And just like all of nature knows that marriage is for a man and a woman, don't they? I mean, there were a couple of penguins I heard about in San Francisco that didn't know it or something. but, But that turned out to be a hoax too because as soon as one of the penguins was exposed to a female, he left his gay lifestyle and (laughs) went on to be uh, a normal penguin. So all of nature knows that some things are right and some things are wrong. This is creation's order. And why is this, young people? Why, Why do you think nature's order is that the young should obey the parents? Well, the parents have more experience. The parents have already been where you are. And they know the path and they know what lies at the end of it. They, they have experience, they have knowledge that the young don't have. And so the young should listen and learn and obey. This is right, he says. That's the first reason. The second reason is it's required. Paul says this is a commandment. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
which is the first commandment with promise. Now, it's not the first commandment. The first commandment was no other gods, right? But this is the first one that had a promise attached to it. Obey, honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. So this is one of the Ten Commandments. Now, in the Ten Commandments, the first four deal with our relationship to God. And the final uh, six deal with our relationship with man. The fifth commandment, honor your mother and your father, is kind of a bridge between that table that deals with our relationship with God and our relationship with man. Because in our growing up, our parents are kind of a God to us. They, they bring us life. They brought us into the world. They are our authority. They give the laws. They are our protector. In the beginning of life, parents are God's representatives to us. And that's why it's so tragic when a father is not really a father. And, and then when a person tries to think of God as father, they They have a distorted image and and it causes all kinds of trouble for them. But in in the ideal, the parent is like God to us. They give us life. They're our lawgivers. They're our lovers, our providers, our controllers. They're sovereign over us for a part of our life. We're dependent on them for everything. The attributes of God are first seen in our parents. And that's why... Uh, parenting is so important that we do it right because a person's attitude toward God will be uh, influenced by what they see in their parents. And so, honor your father and your mother, he says. It's the first commandment. It's required, the first commandment, with a promise. Honor means more than just obey them. If you look in the book of Esther, in chapter 6, the king has been reading the chronicles, the history of of his nation, and he uh, finds out that at one time a Jew named Mordecai saved his life, found out about an assassination that was about to take place, and saved the king's life. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther... Chapter 6, and, and uh, the king says, How should the king honor a man that he wishes to honor? Same word where uh, we're told to honor our father and our mother. And so, uh, Haman, the one he asked the question to, said, Here's what the king ought to do if, if he wants to honor someone, because Haman thought he was talking about himself. He said, uh, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? So he said, here's what you should do, king. Let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which is a royal crest placed on his head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of the one who the king wants to honor, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor, And then parade that man on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man who the king delights to honor. So, uh, to honor someone means more than just obey him. 
It means lift him up, crown him, put a robe on him, parade him around, brag on him. How many of you kids honor your parents that way? To brag on them, to... to, uh, boast about them, to to lift them and exalt them. This is what honor is. Obedience uh, is more than just doing what they say to. Real obedience is doing what they say, when they say it, with the right heart attitude. Let me say that again. Obedience, parents, if your child is obedient... They are doing what you tell them, when you tell them, and with the right heart attitude. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Because it's right. Why? Because it's required. It's one of the commandments. And finally, because it's rewarded. It's the first commandment, Paul says, with a promise. With a promise. Now... This is a general rule, this promise. This, he says that it might go well with you and that you might live long on the earth. Now, certainly there are exceptions to this. Some children who are obedient die early in life. Some who are disobedient live a long time. But the general rule is if you'll listen to your parents who love you, and who are going to tell you the right way to live, if you'll listen to them and obey them, it will go well with you. And if you don't, you're in for heartache and trouble. This is uh, a reward from God for those who will obey this commandment. This reward was made primarily to the nation of Israel. This promise was made primarily to the nation of Israel. And so, as we read it in Exodus chapter 20, it says, So that you may live long in the land. And he's talking about the land that God gave them, Israel. Paul changes it a little bit and says that you may live long on the earth because the Jews had forsaken Messiah, had broken the covenant, had been Scattered from the land, we're now servants, but God, or Paul says, God will still honor this promise and you'll live long on the earth if you'll obey your parents. Well, that's God's word for children. Don't you wish you were a daddy like Andy was a daddy? I wish I had had the wise words of Andy Griffith and Opie when I was a dad, but... God has wiser words uh, even than him. And here's God's words for uh, a parent. Verse 4, he says, And you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. He has a negative instruction and a positive instruction. The negative is, don't provoke them to wrath. Don't, another version says, don't frustrate your children. How do we do that? How do we frustrate our children? In his uh, similar instructions in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, Paul says, uh, Paul says, uh, Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents. 
And then in verse 21, I'm sorry, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. How do we discourage our children in our parenting? Well, there are a number of ways. For one thing, overprotection. Not letting go. Not letting them go out and do age-appropriate things. Sometimes we're too afraid to let them go. And yes, all their friends are doing this and all uh, normal people, they say, do this. But we're overprotective. I, I grew up with a, a little boy whose mama would never let his hands get dirty. And uh, he was afraid of everything. And it, it frustrated him that his friends could do things and he couldn't do. We could be overprotective. We can also be uh, over, over-disciplining them. We can uh, try to kill a mosquito with a cannon. You know, the child crosses over a line and we say, You're grounded for the next six months. Or, uh, some other kind of, of over, uh, over harsh discipline can frustrate them. On the other hand, we can, uh, over, have, higher expectations than we should of them. We can, we can insist that they be super children. Uh, all A pluses in every subject. A spotless room. I, I remember, uh, this was a terrible mistake on my part as a dad, when I would tell my son Mike to go clean his room and he would go in there and he'd be out in two minutes and and I was expecting it would take him at least half an hour or an hour. And, and he would come out and I'd say, you haven't cleaned your room. Yes, I did. No, you haven't. Go back in there and clean it. I cleaned it, Dad. Okay, I'm going to see. And I would look and, and sure enough, the bed was made and, and this was done and that was done. Everything was clean. But because I had made such a big deal out of it, I had to find some fault. I had to be right. And he had to be wrong or else how would he respect me? Well, the truth was I was frustrating him because I would find some little nitpicky thing and say, see, you didn't do that. That was a terrible mistake on my part and I'm sure contributed to some of the problems that we had later on. I frustrated my son because I expected too much. You can go the other way, too, and you can have low expectations of your children. That just tells them you don't believe in them. You don't think they can do anything. You don't raise their expectations and push them to do something, and they think, well, that means I'm not able. I'm, there's something wrong with me. I could never achieve those things. So high expectations, low expectations, how do we get it right? Well, through God's grace and prayer and and some common sense. He says you provoke your children to frustration. You discourage them. We discourage them by neglect, too. This was another downfall of mine that I was so busy in school in the pastorate, at work, that 
I often push my child away. I'm sorry, son, I've got to study Greek. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. You understand, don't you, son, that this is important. This is God's work. Hey, raising my son, that was God's work. God gave me a little boy to turn into a man. That was God's work. And we can be so busy at work, in school, that we don't know what's going on with our kid. And what message do you think that's giving your son or your daughter? I'm not important. Dad's doing important things, but he's not doing anything with me. I'm not important. And what a discouragement that is to anybody to think they're not important. That they don't matter. And he says, fathers. And by the way, he he says fathers because the dad is in charge. But... It's equally applicable to mothers. He's just telling fathers because it's the father's role to see that the child rearing is done properly. But it applies to moms as well. Uh, Our youngest son Jason had a friend whose mother was single. And and I I have the greatest admiration and, and pity for single mothers. I don't know how they do it. But this single mother was more interested in finding another husband. And she would, she would just go out on dates all the time and leave her son to fend for himself. She would leave him a credit card and money. And I'm talking about a 12-year-old. He would take a taxi from Conyers, Georgia into Atlanta and be out on the town in Atlanta on his own for a weekend. Check himself into hotel rooms. Get a cab and come back home. Mom didn't know what was going on there. Neglect. Either because of your work or because of your fund. But just giving the message that you don't matter, child of mine. And then, here's another big mistake that I made. Inconsistency. Inconsistency with discipline. Inconsistency with the rules. Sometimes the rules apply. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes he can cross the line and I don't do anything. And sometimes he crosses the line and the hammer comes down. And, and this just frustrates and discourages a child to no end. They never know whether you mean it or you don't. The rule has to be the rule. And the rule has to be unbending. And uh, Paul says, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't discourage your children. These are some of the ways that we do that. Then on the positive side, he says, don't provoke them to wrath. Don't discourage them. But what? Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord or in the training of and admonition, the discipline and admonition of the Lord. The word training, or your version may say discipline, has to do with molding the will through practice. Uh, Molding the will through practice. 
There are two aspects of this, uh, and both are very vital. He says, bring them up in the training of the Lord. The training of the Lord. In, in a survey taken by the Barna Research Group recently, less than a third, and this was of church people, Christian parents, less than one-third said that the church teachings or the teachings of the Bible had anything to do with the way they raised their children. That means over 60, nearly 70% of the people in the church that were asked this question said, no, the Bible doesn't influence the way I parent at all. That is so sad. And it's little wonder then that the divorce rate among church people is at least as high and maybe a little higher than among the outside world. That's not wise, is it? In Ephesians 5.17, he said, Don't be foolish, be wise, knowing what the will of the Lord is. Well, if you don't take the will of the Lord into your parenting process, that's not very wise. If you don't bring your child up in the loving discipline and instruction of the Lord, you're not being wise. You're not doing the will of God. You're not allowing the Spirit who lives in you to live through you and help you in your parenting. Discipline is very important. But then the second aspect is admonition. Admonition. He says, bring them up in the training, which has to do with discipline. It includes punishment. It includes rewards. Uh, Sandy and I, at one point in our life made family contracts with our children. We sat them down and we wrote things out. We said, what are the issues that are just driving us nuts in our family? And they were things like um, getting to bed on time, cleaning your room, coming when we call you to family devotions. You remember any of the other things? Anyway, we put all these things down. Little things. Yeah. Talking back, arguing with us, uh, getting in the van when we say it's time for Sunday school. Come on, let's go. Uh, So we, we made a contract. We said, these are the things we expect of you. And here's what happens if you don't do them. And here's what happens if you do. And there was positive reinforcement for obedience and negative reinforcement for disobedience. And it was in a contract. No discussion. Uh, We discussed it with them while we were making the contract. But once the contract was done and signed, that was the end of it. And, And every week we would say, okay, how'd you do this week? And for the... Things they did right, there would be a reward. For the things they did wrong, the reward came back. And uh, and they began to see the profit in good behavior. And when there was bad behavior, there was no screaming and yelling and all. You just said, look, we here's the contract. Sorry, dude, I didn't make the rules. Oh, yeah, I did, but... Uh, But you agreed, you signed, this is the way we rule here. And so there's punishment, there's reward in training. And then he says, and in the admonition, 
of the Lord. Admonition has to do with instruction. And listen, you can't have discipline if you haven't given instruction. That's not fair to discipline somebody when you haven't taught them that this is the way it is. The admonition of the Lord. Nurture and instruction. Teaching, instruction. Oops. And uh, Benjamin West was just trying to be a good babysitter for his little sister Sally. When, uh, when his mom went out, Benjamin found some bottles of colored ink and some pens, and he proceeded to paint Sally's portrait. Well, in the process, ink got everywhere. Good upholstered furniture was ruined. The tablecloth was ruined. There was paper and trash and ink everywhere. And when his mother came back and and surveyed everything and all the mess, she didn't say anything. And she picked up the paper and she said, Benjamin, my goodness, that's Sally. And she praised him and bent down and kissed her little son. And in 1763, when he was 25 years old, he was selected as a history painter for King George of England. He became one of the most celebrated artists of his day. And he said, my career as an artist began with my mother's kiss. The gentle nurture and encouragement and admonition of the Lord. Her encouragement did far more than her rebuke could have ever done. So, as parents... We need to be careful not to frustrate our children. We need to be careful to instruct them. We need to be careful to reward them, to encourage them, and to discipline them and correct them. And as we do that, and as we model Jesus in front of them, we may find that our children become a little bit like Jesus too.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. How we need your wisdom, Lord. How on earth could we parent a child without your wisdom? You entrust into our hands, Lord, an eternal soul with nothing written on it except the way you've made them. And Lord, uh, we have to be discerning and we have to read them and know how you've made them and how we're to write on those pages. I pray that you would help us as moms and dads, Lord, to, first of all, to know you better ourselves, so that your glory is reflected in our lives and our children see. That you would help us to instruct them in your ways and to be encouragers for them cheerleaders for them to build them up and and build their confidence and that they would see in us Lord people who trust you and in good times and in bad times and who follow you no matter what they would follow our steps and Lord I pray for these boys and girls these young men and young ladies Sometimes it's hard for them to understand why mom and dad say the things they say and do the things they do. I pray that you would help them to be like Jesus, who submitted to his parents, though he was perfect and he knew better than they did. He obeyed the law of God. This was right. It was a commandment of God. And it was given with a promise. I pray that each of these young men and young ladies, Lord, would reap the reward of that promise. That it would go well with them in their life here on earth. Because they've listened to their mother and father and obeyed them. And done what is right. We all need your grace in this, Lord. Parents and children alike. So help us to be filled with your Spirit, to let the Spirit of God who lives in us have control of our lives as leaders and followers, as parents and children. In Jesus' name, amen.